Have you ever struggled with feeling like you belong? Like you belong in your group of friends, like you belong in the team at your job, like you belong in your classroom. I know um, during like middle school and elementary school, sometimes, especially in high school, there's the whole like click, who are the cool kids, right? Who are the athletes? And I was never in any of those groups of people. I definitely have struggled with feeling a sense of belonging as an immigrant, especially when I first got here from Cuba and I was, I started school, the kids in my classroom, I didn't understand what they were saying. We didn't speak the same language. We didn't have the same likes. Um, I didn't dress like them for sure. And it was difficult to feel like I belonged. And then as I grew older, I realized also I came from Cuba at around nine and a half years old. So I came too young to be Cuban enough, right? Like when I speak to people that are Cuban that have, that came at a later age, I'm not Cuban enough for them, but I also came too old to feel completely American. Like all of my formative years happened in Cuba and I feel more Cuban than I do American sometimes. So I'm not American enough <laughs> to be American. There's like a limbo of existence, um, that happens, right? Where I don't feel like I belong completely um, anywhere. Sometimes even today I struggle with this feeling and other times I don't. Other times I feel like I am in exactly the right place with exactly the right people. And this happens the most um, when I am in in my Seizing Happy community, when I am with um, with the women that are a member of the Seizing Happy community. And I think it's because of the open conversations that we have. And I think it's because of the desire to understand each other that exists in our Seizing Happy community. And so when I was presented with the opportunity to get a copy of this book right here, You Belong, A Call for Connection by Sabine Selassie, I could not say no because this book speaks deeply on this topic. And as somebody who has struggled with feeling a sense of belonging, I, <laughs> I finished this book in no time. And by the way, in case you don't know, inside our Seizing Happy community, we've launched a book club. I can't call it anything else because that's pretty much what it is, <laughs> where uh, we read these books together and then you can submit your questions to the author because I get these authors on the podcast, on the Chats with Gigi podcast. So you get to ask your questions. We'll read the book together. Um, we have little sessions inside our community where we talk about them and such and uh, share our experiences and our points of views. And then you can submit your questions. So you get to interview the author with me. And that's what we're going to do today. We have the author of You Belong on this episode of the Chats with Gigi podcast. Sebene Selassie is a writer and teacher who guides people to remember and trust their belonging. She was born in Ethiopia and raised in Washington, D.C. She began studying Buddhism over 30 years ago at McGill University, and she is an undergraduate in comparative religious studies and women's studies. She has a master's from the New School where she focused on race and cultural studies. And for over 20 years, she's worked with children, youth and families, nationally and internationally for small and large nonprofit organizations. 
Her work has taken her from the Tenderloin in San Francisco to East Harlem, New York, to refugee camps in West Africa. Sabine is trained as a meditation teacher, an integral coach, and as a practitioner of indigenous focusing oriented therapy known as IFOT. She is a devoted student of esoteric traditions, including astrology, numerology, and tarot. She offers courses, workshops, and retreats online and in person and is one of the most popular teachers on the 10% Happier Meditation app, which by the way, also happens to be one of my favorite apps. This is her first book and I have absolutely loved it. You Belong, A Call for Connection, and it is published by Harper One. Let's get started on this conversation with 7A. This is Chats with Gigi, a podcast for women who are ready to step into their power, get unstuck, and create more freedom in all areas of life. I'm your host, Gigi Diaz, certified life and business coach, media personality, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I've helped hundreds of women find the necessary clarity, confidence, and courage to build their dream life and achieve success with less stress. If you're seeking weekly motivation, practical and spiritual advice, and tangible resources to scale in life and in business, then you're in the right place. Are you ready? Here we go. 7A, first, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I know you're super busy. You have a lot going on with the promotion of this book, but I have to tell you, this has been one of my favorite, favorite reads, and I read a lot of books, <laughs> but this just has such a beautiful, powerful way of... Um, of bringing us back within. So before I dive into the book itself, I'd love to know what inspired you to write it in the first place. Oh, thank you, Gigi. That's so sweet of you to say, and I'm just so happy to be here. Um, yeah, you know, I say I wrote a book about belonging because I always felt like I didn't belong. So there's a way in which um, I think all of my different Different identities coming together in weird ways, just being an immigrant, being black, a woman, being spiritually woo-woo long ago when that wasn't a thing, meditating before there were meditation apps. And, you know, there's so many ways where I felt like I wasn't part of the dominant normal culture. And so belonging was always a question for me. Where do I belong? How do I belong? And that's what the book explores. And it, and it does it in such a beautiful way because it it challenges us. It challenges us a lot as readers to really face the ways in which sometimes we're a little bit responsible for our own feelings of not belonging. Can we dive a little into that, please? Oh, definitely. Yes. You know, sometimes we talk about belonging as if it's just about fitting in, like where do you sit in middle school cafeteria kind of belonging, but this is asking us to go really deep. Like how do we feel like we belong or not belong in this world? And, and I'm starting with the premise that everyone belongs. Every single one of us belongs not only to ourselves and to where we come from, but to others. And that includes people that we don't get along with or that we feel separate from. And we belong to everything in nature, in our culture. So it's asking us to take responsibility for kind of the depth of that belonging. It's not just about, oh, do I fit in in this place or not? But really, how do I let myself fit in everywhere? Because I'm, I'm always a part of everything. 
I absolutely love that you said that because there's actually a, a pay, I, one of the many things I highlighted in this book. You say, if nothing is separate, I belong to one thing as much as anything else. I belong to everything, including the things that make me react in suspicion, doubt, or aversion, even rage. How do we begin to feel a belonging to the things that we want to be so separate from? When we don't agree with something or when something triggers us, I feel like one of our most natural responses is, I don't want that. I am not like that. I am not like them. I am not like that. I, that's not me. And so how do we begin to make that connection with the things that we instinctively want to be away from? Yes, that's such a good question. And just to preface what I'm going to say with, this is not about putting ourselves in places of harm. It's not about not having good boundaries. So there are ways that we need to protect ourselves or even remove ourselves from situations. So it's not just going into any situation saying, I belong here and putting ourselves in danger. Um, and and that includes emotional danger because some of us have su suffered neglect or emotional abuse that can be, you know, as as damaging as physical or or um, you know bodily danger. But I start with this very deep psychological, scientific, and spiritual truth that everything is not separate. So that's what that quote started with. And that's a really important thing to understand in order to have this sense of belonging. So I'm really talking about things that are taught to us by physics, but also by indigenous wisdom, that everything is interconnected. And it took modern science a long time to catch up with indigenous wisdom. So the ancients have known this since the beginning of time, that actually there is no separation. And we, we can't sense into that with our ordinary senses. You know, our eyes, our ears, our, our sense of touch makes us feel like we are separate, that there are separate objects and beings in the world. And that's true. And this is where I invite people into paradox, which is the nature of reality that, yes, we are separate beings, but also we're completely interconnected. And modern science, again, is catching up to that and has shown that, you know, we all affect each other, that energetically and, and I would say spiritually, there's something deeper that is actually connecting all of us. And so when we can meet difficulty with that deep understanding that although we experience life as separate, and that's true too. So I, I say over and over in the book, we're not the same, but we're not separate. And we, we have to come to terms with that paradox. So although we can experience the world as separate beings, and there's a beauty in that, there's beauty and diversity and difference, but we also are not separate and we can rest in that truth and understand that if I feel enraged by something, my rage is spilling out and affecting everything else. And we should feel our feelings. You know, often rage is the correct response to something, but then how do we transform that so that that rage can go into positive energy, into positive change, so that all of this that's connected can start to be for the good of, of everyone? Mm, that is so good. You mentioned about ancient wisdom, and I feel like there's a remembering that is happening very quickly these days in so many different spaces worldwide, right? Where for a long time, we were in the science, right? And, and everything was 
leaning toward the medicine and toward what the experts would say. And we kind of disconnected ourselves from that ancient wisdom and that knowledge that that is within all of us. What do you think has triggered that desire globally to reconnect with our ancient wisdom? And what do you think has triggered that desire to catch up with this ancient wisdom, even in science? You know, I I don't know if I have a, a clear or um, exact answer for that. So I, I can just speak from my sense. I mean, one thing I'll acknowledge is that there have been, um, even despite colonialism and the, you know, diminishment and, and distinguished, uh, extinguishing of ancient knowledge systems. So I talk, I use this word epistemicide, which means, you know, killing off ancient knowledge systems, which colonialism really, um, forcefully did intentionally did right attacked and subdued and oppressed the knowing systems so really um limited things like um uh indigenous medicines or indigenous uh, religious ceremonies uh, spiritual practices because those were the knowing so by you know, really eradicating that you, they were trying to keep that kind of knowing down consciously or unconsciously. And so there've been generations of wisdom keepers that have made sure not to let that knowing disappear. So I think one reason why there's a resurgence is because they've been, um, you know, for thousands of years and hundreds of years, lineages of knowledge keepers, wisdom keepers, um, you know, these, these ancient ways of knowing held onto, and sometimes by um, hiding it, you know, one of the more popular examples of that is capoeira, which, uh, which is a martial art dance art form from Brazil, which I do not practice. So I can't speak to very um, eloquently, but a lot of people know that this was a way to kind of hide knowledge, right? To hide a knowing that was embodied and it looked just like play to the colonizers, but was actually a way of keeping knowledge with, within the community. And so to just really pay respect to all the artists and um, spiritual leaders and activists who allowed that to be held on to despite how hard it was to keep that alive. And so, um, you know, that's part of it that it's been, it's been kept alive. And then I think a lot of it too, is just our crises. You know, people are, are at their kind of wits end in terms of realizing that these systems aren't working, that they, they're not working for everyone because it's not that, um, the people who are quote unquote in power or ostensibly have more are any happier. There's a, a spiritual and an emotional bankruptcy that's rampant around not just this country, but the world, you know, epidemic levels of anxiety and depression and um, suicide. And so we see that affecting young people and um, all of us. And so people are desperate to turn to things that work and, this kind of knowing does work, right? This kind of spiritual practice, um, wellness in in a in a deep way, not as a a, a corporate kind of band aid, but really a, a deep knowing of what what it means to have well being. Um, people are are looking for that because the other things are not working anymore. Absolutely. And it's about damn time. <laughs> yes, really. And it, it's, it's on time. 
You know, yeah. we're re- we're ready. We're finally ready for it. Yeah, I think that that's that's so good that you just said that because there is a readiness that has to be present in order to be able to look in the mirror and say, I've made a lot of these choices for myself and now I have to, with love and with grace and with kindness, accept that and change my choices and learn and give myself the freedom and allow for the curiosity to discover what will and what will not work for me and to be able to do it in a non-judgmental way where when we're in the process of discovering that we're not judging ourselves in the process and that we're not judging that which we are discovering that may not align with these preconceived notions or previous learning or you know whatever social constructs have been have been given to us that we have adopted willingly or sometimes unwillingly you know you're born into a family that tells you what is and what isn't and we don't often stop to think is this serving me is this really what i believe is this really what i want and now i feel like you're absolutely right that's the key is there's there's a readiness that is here for us to be able to look inward and say okay something's got to give here something's got to change right you got to uproot you got to clean out the whole thing i love that um Speaking of social constructs and the the boxes that we're put in and the things that we are taught, in the chapter Domination, you talk about how from a very, very young age, we are compared by our proud parents, right? And how that instills um, like that being different from others and that competitiveness. And our parents don't necessarily do it with ill intention. It's just, they're so proud that we did this first. Or I think you use the examples of like, oh, he was walking really young or he spoke, you know, really fast or all these little things. And these parents are just happy that their kids are awesome. Right. I think parents are happy no matter how non-awesome their kids are. They're just like, oh, my baby's the best. But how do we as parents celebrate milestones for our children and instill confidence in them without creating that competitiveness and that um, distance from others while still instilling that sense of belonging? It's such a good question. I'm not a parent, so I can't speak um, expertly from this place, but having been a kid, I know that that feeling of being compared um, when it involves a kind of hierarchy is the problem, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not that we shouldn't celebrate differences, which include achievements, but they also include losses. So I think part of it is to um, uh, really kind of explore both sides of the equation with um, equal care and attention. So often, you know, our, our difficulties and our challenges will be dismissed or they'll be discouraged and we won't get acknowledged in that situation. We'll only get acknowledged with praise or, or the other way around, you know, depending. And so how, how do we create a culture where all of us are um, allowed to feel all our feelings? You know, we don't need to go into stories about all our feelings. Oh, I won this, so I'm great and making a whole identity around that and not making a story that I lost this. And so that means I'm terrible, but I can feel the joy and celebrate the joy of of winning or succeeding and also feel the sadness and the disappointment and, and allow that to be as explored. And I think that balancing can be helpful. 
I love that. And I agree. I, I'm not a parent either, but I've worked with kids for 19 years in my first business. And I see, I've seen a lot of that where it's the praise only when the good happens and when they don't um, meet certain expectations or achieve a certain milestone in the way that the parent wants them to, then the child is either shunned or, um, you know, like scolded in one way or another, rather than, you know, what do you feel you could have done better? Or why was this one hard for you? Or how can we support you to do better next time without creating that separation of, you know, what almost feels like my parents only love me if I do well, or my parents only like me if I do well, you know, those, those are very difficult feelings for kids. And definitely, I think uh, a space of challenge for parents um, when we tend to parent the way that we were parented. <laughs> and it goes mm-hmm. back to looking mm-hmm. inward and saying, you know, what is serving me and, and what isn't. One of the things that you mention in the book is practicing belonging by practicing ease. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. And I think this relates to what we were just saying, because sometimes when we hear the word ease, and I can even do this sometimes, we, we think that means just like good vibes only. And ease is really the capacity to be with what's happening with a sense of well-being, you know, to allow whatever is happening without creating um, a lot of tension or resistance around it. So to not be in contention with whatever reality is there. So to go back to the question of emotions and just parenting ourselves. So sometimes we think we should only be having the quote unquote positive or good emotions, but when we have tears or sadness, can we have ease with that as well? So not again, not wallowing and getting lost in the story and making a whole identity around our sadness or our depression, but allowing ourselves to feel the feelings without thinking there's a problem there. Because even for me, sometimes when I'm upset about something, I can almost feel like it's a mistake. Mm. You know, I, sh- I, I, sh- I want the, the crying or the sadness to end. And what does it feel like to bring ease to just letting the feelings pass through us. There's a kind of meditation saying, feel your feelings, drop the story. Mm, I like that. Mm. I love that. Why would you say it's so important for us to explore and to accept paradox? Oh, yeah. Paradox is always present. So starting with this deep philosophical paradox that, nothing is separate. And we're really talking about on, you know, a scientific physics molecular level, there is no separation in the universe. That's so hard for us to wrap our heads around when we're driving around in our cars or, you know, sitting in front of a computer, having a conversation. We're obviously in different places, you and me, Gigi, and we, you know, we're, we're having, we're surrounded by our stuff and we have a physical reality that's separate, but we're actually connected even more than just through this uh, technology. So that's the the first paradox. But there there are all sorts of paradoxes in in life. You know the the fact that um, we can feel love and hate for the same person. Um, the the fact that we can feel really connected and really separate from our partner. Um, you know, the fact that we can sometimes feel really energized and really exhausted in the same moment almost, but in, in the same day or really um, interested, but really disengaged. And so there, there are paradoxes all through our life. And sometimes we think that they're a problem 
that we have these sort of conflicting feelings or ideas or relationships to things. But if we allow that things can be more than just one or another, I I really believe in the both and. Mm. And how about the concept of exploring our differences, which you mentioned earlier, it's so important to know that we are different. We're living different experiences. How can we explore those differences without division? Oh, wow. I don't know if we have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) This one is the, you know, it's the really challenging one because um, it can't be explored in a CNN soundbite. You know, we try and solve these very complex social historical issues um, just through a quick conversation or a quick rundown. But actually, these kinds of divisions that have been wrought over centuries and through um, so many patternings that have to do with so many identities, not just race, although that's the one that gets focused on a lot, but also through through gender and culture and ethnicity and language and um, and geography and and they're really complex, you know, to understand even the complexity of one country, let's say the country I was born in Ethiopia, you know, colonialism's borders created the the kind of construct of Ethiopia, but within Ethiopia, there are hundreds of languages and there are so many cultures and differences of um, food and dress and uh, music and Um, attitudes. And also there's so much difference in the geography and those borders are arbitrary. And so to understand just even the history of one African country, let alone the hundreds of countries around the world, it's complex. So our differences, um, I think that coming to the table or to a conversation or um, to an interaction with that understanding that we're not separate and we have that interconnection in order to open a conversation and to really listen, to not think we understand everything about someone just because of the way they look or, you know, what we may know about them, but that there's so, so much complexity in our world. I can't add much more than that because it's so specific. So you and I, you know, we could have a conversation about the countries and cultures we're from and how those have, have impacted us and, um, you know, how, how different things like class or um, uh, race or gender have impacted our lives. Well, you know, how our sexual orientation or gender identity has impacted us. There are so many things to explore. So um there's no one way except I think being really open and being receptive to understanding each other. I love it. And now one of the things that we mentioned in regards to that ancient wisdom is our connection through nature and our connection to the earth itself. How would you, in such a busy world that we're in or that we choose to be in with all the technology and the buildings and the cars and the things, how do we connect to nature anywhere? Yeah, in the book, I, I I really try and emphasize the fact that we are nature. So starting from that place of remembering that we're not separate from nature, we think of nature as like over there, you know, two hours away in upstate New York or 
you know, 45 minutes to the ocean and then I'm at nature, but nature is right here in this body. And I use this metaphor of uh, the four elements, earth, fire, water, and air as a way to connect to nature um, in just in this body. You know, I am made of those four elements and the elements are in every single culture throughout history and time from you know, African indigenous wisdom to Ayurvedic medicine, to Chinese medicine, to Native American indigenous wisdom, every, every indigenous system, European systems of ancient Greek, ancient Egypt, they all had elements as a metaphor for understanding nature. So I love that because it allows us this really simple way to, re to remember our connection to nature. And there's nature in our apartments. So I you know, got some water before I came here. That is the water element. Or they just, it's getting cold now in New York and our building just turned on the heat today for the first time. So that that's the fire element. Or if I turn on the stove to you know, light a kettle, to warm a kettle, that's the fire element. The air element is all around us. If I open the window or turn on a fan. And so really allowing ourselves those simple ways to connect to nature that are, are, are here in any moment. And then finding our, our connections to the natural world around us. I see you have plants behind you. I have plants next to me. And even if we live in um, the most industrial urban environment, we're going to find pieces or pockets of nature, the one tree on our street or the sky above us or the rain that falls. So really just continually connecting to the fact that nature is everywhere. It's not just in a national park. I love that. Thank you so much, Sebene, for hanging out with us today, for sharing a little bit more about You Belong, A Call for Connection. This book has been an absolute pleasure to read, and it's been even more exciting to talk to you about it. And for the record, for those that are in Miami, um, 7A is going to be one of the featured authors in the Miami Book Fair, which is going down November 13th through November 20th. How excited are you to come down to Miami? Because I know oh, it's getting I'm cold so up there. excited. <laughs> yeah, really excited. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode of Chats with Gigi, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes and share it with a friend. If there's a guest or topic you'd like on the show, let me know. You can find me across all social media platforms as Gigi Diaz Live or head on over to my website, www.ggdiaz.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week. Until then, I'm sending lots of love and light your way.